Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, corporeal and non-corporeal listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. Right, Ben? Uh, indubitably. <laughs> Un. It is It is never in doubt. Is that what you're saying? That is one way to translate my comment. Ben, people can find your work all over the internet. Why don't you tell them, just give them a little taste. Give them a taste, a little, <laughs> a little teaser, like a menu at a restaurant of where they can find your latest work. Sure, you can find my work at Haggerty, at Inside Hook, at Motor Trend, and at Car and Driver. Okay, little taste. Not the whole, not the whole mouthful there. Okay? Sammy, I left some for later, so. Okay, good. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, car and driver, and Nouveau magazine. Ben, we've got some pretty cool cars to talk about this week, don't you think? I do think so. Do we often have cool cars to talk about? I mean, last week they were pretty normal cars, I think. But um, normal cars are cool. But they were wonder- still fun. Do you, ever, do you ever realize how crazy it is that we can drive in these things regularly every day, these these mobiles that are yeah, automotive? How do, automotive? how do magnets even work, man? I, I don't do. know, man. Uh, I, I do want to say, though, when we were talking about normal cars and fun, and this is weird. So every time I'm out driving, no matter when I'm driving, and I see a Nissan Micra, I think, oh, man, I should have a Micra. Micras seem really <laughs> Nobody cool. knows what a Micra is. Yeah, so for our American listeners, Micra is like a small front-wheel drive four-door hatchback that Nissan sold here for, I think, like five years. And it's basically the equivalent of a Mitsubishi um, Mirage, if the Mirage with, four, didn't, with a four-cylinder engine. If the Mirage didn't suck so bad. <laughs> like, um, it's, it's, it, it's like a less cynical version of the Mirage. And it's funny because the Mirage was the cheapest car in Canada when it came out. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 micro and the came spark, out. I think. No, it was cheaper than the spark. Okay. And then the micro came out, and it was even cheaper, and it was way better. Yeah. And no one was. All of a sudden, Mitsubishi had to like they had to put a four thousand dollar cash incentive on the hood of every Mirage because they couldn't sell them anymore because people realized the micro was pretty cool. And the reason I like the micro, it's fun to drive. It's like a tiny little. I think it's like a hundred horsepower manual transmission, super lightweight. They had a racing series here called the Micro Cup. We sponsored uh, a Micro Cup driver, uh, Kenshi, yeah. um, and uh, when he when he was racing here in Trombla. We had the unnamed automotive podcast sticker on the car and uh, I just think they're fun, but it's weird because I don't need one and there's no like use case I can come up with where if I bought a Micra, it would make sense to me. Like even as a beater, my, my Impreza RS is already filling that role and it has all wheel drive so I can just leave it parked all week and drive out of a snowbank without any issues. I think though, maybe it would be a little bit newer and probably more reliable. Although I put zero miles on the Impreza every year, probably like 600 miles. I, maximum. I want to take a tangent and think about what was going on in the, uh, the Renault Nissan Mitsubishi Alliance where, where Nissan undercut Mitsubishi and then Mitsubishi panicked and under, and like, again, put in a, a cash incentive on, their already cheapest car. Well, were they already? Were they still? Were they the alliance back then? I don't know. It just makes me laugh to think about 
oh god like what are we gonna do it's like, like it, it, you know every time you say like the nissan mitsubishi renault alliance i picture a scene from like the first star wars movie where they're all huddled around some kind of holographic display yeah and they're trying to avoid being destroyed by the empire and everyone yeah. is like a costumed alien of some kind <laughs> i don't know why wow, okay yeah alliance i guess it's rebel alliance i guess i'm yeah. not that creative as a person is what i'm getting down to Okay, well, we'll get some photoshopped uh, scenes of of the the rebel um, the rebel alliance looking at how how to deal with the empire as as the automakers. I think that's the easiest way to do it. We'll just put their fate, their emblems on everyone. But you said we're talking about some mainstream cars. I don't know if we're talking that mainstream, are we? What this do you mean week? that main? What, how many how many flavors of mainstream are there? I said last week we talked about. Oh yeah, last week we were. T- I forgot. Last week we were talking about mainstream cars. What were yeah. we talking about again? We, we talked about the Integra, the Impreza, and the Integra. Yeah, yeah, both very mainstream and you know in, in their own different ways. Um, but this week I'm talking about something that was mainstream, and then Toyota stepped in and was like, "No, I think we're going to go in an absurdly wild direction and see what happens." And uh, Toyota. Yeah, that vehicle, Sammy, is the GR Corolla. The Corolla GR or the GR Corolla? It's the GR Corolla. What does GR stand for again? Um, don't make me say it. <laughs> you have to say it. It stands for Gersu Racing. Gersu Racing. Yeah, I is a is a household name here in in North America. Gersu Racing, totally not and globally. An, I think not an entirely made up thing that Toyota's. It's it's like Toyota's fetch. They're like, yeah, it is one hundred percent Toyota's fetch. <laughs> they're trying to make Gersu Racing happen. They have three cars with Gersu Racing on them. They have a bajillion more with TRD, but they're like Gersu Racing. Yeah, it's weird. It's like TRD already had really good brand recognition. So I don't know. They're like, no, we, we don't want the R is fine, but everything else has to go. It's it's funny, though, that you mentioned. It's, no, it's like they're going in Le Mans and they're like, if we had TRD on that, we would we can't sell trucks with Le Mans race cars like. Yeah. And it's like those two parts of the company just don't talk to each other. They don't know. But it's interesting that you mentioned there's three cars with Gazoo Racing on uh, Gazoo Racing on them. Right. There's just the GR really. They don't really call it Gazoo Racing. GR86, the Supra. The, gr- the Grady 6. The Supra and the Corolla. Now, if you're keeping score at home, that means Toyota makes more high performance cars now than any other mainstream automaker. Really? If you look at Honda, Ford, Honda, Ford makes the Ford right, makes the Mustang. The Mustang. <laughs> Mazda makes the Miata. Um, Dodge. I mean, they make the Hellcats, but at the end of this year, there's nothing. There's, there's just going to be that Hornet, like the the high the high horsepower Hornet, right? The Is the Hornet cross- considered a car? It's a crossover. It's I a think. crossover, but you know, yeah. it's it's the closest thing they've got. Uh, Chevrolet makes the Camaro and the Corvette, so that's two. But the Camaro's going away, I think, soon. Okay, so then they'll just be the Corvette. Nissan makes the GTR and the Z. Volkswagen has the Golf R and the GTI. Hyundai has the Elantra N and the Kona N. One's a crossover again. Yeah, but still, you know. What about my favorite brand, Kia? Kia doesn't really make any performance. I mean, (laughs) you could stretch and say the Stinger is performance, but it's more... Is Stinger still a a product? Yes, actually, there's Stinger in the fleet. Uh, I saw one drive out of the fleet yesterday. Isn't it the cemetery edition, the graveyard edition, like the last one? (laughs) It's funny because it's like... It's like a graveyard gray? headstone gray. So, I mean, maybe it is. Uh, but I'd say that's more of a grand touring car. So I, I don't know if I have accounted as high performance. I mean, they make almost performance. I think there's a couple mm-hmm. like semi-hot versions of the, of what is it? The Forte? The, the Forte, yeah. 
Um, and they used to make the Elantra GT, but I don't think they do anymore. That's Hyundai, no. sorry. Uh, and no. then there's Honda, which makes the Type R and the SI. So that the Toyota makes three. The closest you can get is two from anyone else in the mainstream. And you go to luxury, I mean, obviously Porsche and BMW make a lot of performance cars. But that's not what we're talking about here, right? Okay. So I would think that if you went back in time, like five years ago, and you were like, hey, <laughs> in 2023, Toyota's going to sell more performance cars or make available more performance cars than anyone else. No one would have believed you. <laughs> I mean, what were they making? How, how many years ago? Five years ago, you think? I think 10 years ago is more is more appropriate for no, me. No, five years ago, they, they were making the GR, this, uh, whatever yeah. they were calling it, the GT at, the, at that point. Yeah. And um, they were making a TRD version of the Camry, <laughs> which... Yeah, and the Avalon, I think. Yeah, but neither of those are really performance no, cars, right? Really. So they, were, they had one vehicle in there, and, and a lot of people looked down on that car because it wasn't high horsepower. It was, you know, aimed at a very specific buyer. And now they've got the full spectrum. They've got, like, a high-end Supra, or at least they're selling it at a high-end price. They have the yeah. entry-level GR. And then they have this Corolla, which is kind of hanging out right in the middle. You know what's justification here? None of these cars are front-wheel drive. Ah, but they <laughs> but they are because the Cor- the Corolla is a front-wheel drive platform. Except yeah, but it's an all-wheel drive powertrain. Yeah, in GR mode, it is an all-wheel drive powertrain. But there's a bunch of stuff that goes with that that relates to it being front-wheel drive that we need to talk about. Oh, um, the the, the this this version of the Corolla is super interesting to me because. Only to you? You're the only person you think is interested to this thing? Everyone's interested in the, the GR Corolla. I don't know what other people... I think this is turning everyone to Gazi racing fans all around the world. I can't the gauge Corolla. other people's interests until I talk about my own. And okay, then, it, you know, it's it's a reflection of that. I understand. So the Corolla hatchback was, was pretty okay to begin with. I mean, it was decently good to drive for its price. Um, it wasn't really a performance car, but it wasn't super boring. So Toyota looked at that and they're like... You know, we have this car that we sell in Europe and Japan, and we don't sell it here, called the GR Yaris, which is mm-hmm. essentially a smaller hatchback with a three-speed, uh, three-speed, a three-cylinder turbo mm-hmm. that makes about 300 horsepower. And for whatever reason... That's an impressive amount. That's got to be a pretty good, uh, that's a good, like, ratio. Yeah, and it comes with a six-speed manual. And they're like, let's just dump this into the Corolla and see what happens. But that wasn't all that they did. So... The the thing about the Corolla that separates it out from, I think, other vehicles that are also you know, all-wheel drive hatchbacks or turbocharged hatchbacks, like, you know, you have the Golf R and you have the um, the Type R from, from Honda. And then you have like a Boo, GT. front-wheel drive. Yeah. So what separates these cars from the GR is the GR is really, really old school in a bunch of ways you would not expect. And the first one is this drivetrain. So this this... 300 horsepower, I think it's like 272 pound-feet of torque, or 273. Uh, There's a there's a a top-spec Marizzo model, which is, you know, it doesn't have a back seat. It's kind of stripped out inside. It has um, 295 pound-feet, I think. It's like the the hood has more induction, so it gets a little more power. But anyway, it's roughly the same performance. But what's interesting about the engine is it, it, it doesn't feel smooth. Like, when you turn it on and you turn it off, it shudders. It's, like, kind of shaky. Um... When you're idling, it sounds a little uncouth, but when you're driving, it has kind of a nice, a nice exhaust note. It doesn't feel necessarily rough, but it doesn't, it's not the same kind of experience you would get out of a modern turbocharged four cylinder, which are remarkably smooth these days. Um, I think that's all three cylinder. That's all three, three cylinder character. Yeah. But why would you do that? Like it's, it's, there's no reason to make a three cylinder car. Like Toyota has access to 
They could have built a four cylinder. <laughs> sure, they could have built the same kind of drivetrain that you see in the Type R. I guess is the point I'm making. But they grabbed something they already had off the shelf, put it in here, and they're like, you know what? I think the kind of people who are into this GR Corolla aren't going to mind if it's a little bit rough. And that kind of speaks to like the way the rest of the car, the personality, how it comes across, like. You know, there's no programmable drive modes in this car. There's like a button on the console. It's a toggle switch and you can flip it into sport and it kind of sharpens the throttle and it's supposed to change the steering. I didn't notice anything about the steering. The throttle, it's debatable whether it actually does anything, but you you, you can't go in. You mean the change in throttle. The throttle does something, has to do something. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's more sensitive, but I don't notice it. Like okay. I'm saying, it's not really noticeable. Um, you can't go in and like customize a whole bunch of stuff. It's yeah. like pretty much here. Here's what you get. I, I there might be a custom mode. I don't remember if there is. It's like not easily accessible. It's it's and it certainly doesn't have like more than one or two parameters. You know, you go okay. into like the Golf R. You go into the. I, I can't remember if the Civic. Yeah, the is, Golf R had way too many. Yeah, and it had the Nurburgring setting right where you yeah. could like. There's all this stuff. Basically, toys that are programmed in digital toys. The Corolla doesn't have that feel. The Corolla does not feel like a modern digitized product in that way. Same thing with the with the all-wheel drive system. It has a dial at the center of a console. If you leave it in normal mode, it sends 60% of power to the front wheels and 40% to the rear. And that's where I was getting at when I was talking about the front-wheel drive aspect of the car. Okay. As soon as you get in and leave it in normal mode, whatever, that's kind of... 40 split. It's a front-wheel front experience. A, a bit of a front bias. If, okay. you, if you tap the button in the center, it splits at 50-50. And if you turn it to the rear, you get 70 to the rear, sorry, turn it to the right, you get 70 to the rear and 30 to the front. And I can okay. tell you, it will kick the tail out a little bit. And also, when it's in sport mode and it's it's set to a rear-wheel drive bias, if you pull the handbrake, it'll just slide the tail in. It doesn't, like, grab you with electronic nannies and stuff and freak out. It's happy enough to do that. And all Okay, this- cool. That sounds like, uh, it sounds nostalgic almost, right? It- like, it sounds like something we, we used to... Fool around with as kids. Yeah, it's 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 kind or of wanted to fool around with as kids. It really reminds me of the Bug Eye WRX when it first hit North America, where it has that kind of wheels at each corner, square kind of drive, uh, square kind of track, mm-hmm. and um, very basic mechanic. In this case, you know, in the WRX, it was a mechanical all-wheel drive system. Um, the the version of the GR Corolla I drove had torsion differentials front and rear. So it has a mechanical limited slip. Again, not yeah. relying on electronics to deal with that kind of thing. I'm all about that. That's my favorite. And and I like all that stuff about the car. It doesn't feel modern. It feels a bit like a bit of a throwback. It doesn't have like an exhaust system either that's cackling with all sorts of overrun when you let off the throttle. Like none of that happens. It, there's like a center ex- exit for the exhaust that's open at idle and then open again above 4,500. But it doesn't make a hooligan-like noise. It's actually a performance-oriented thing. Like they're trying to get more air through the through the exhaust system and the intake. Um it's it's really endearing, Sammy. I guess that's the best word. This car endeared itself to me through its personality. That's excellent. I think that's an important that that's like one of those like what do you call it if you're if you're talking about a sports a sports person, an athlete, a professional sports athlete, person. they'll be like they'll be like they do the intangibles, you know, the things that don't show up on the on the on the yeah, good on locker the, room presence, you know, like <laughs> not really, but they do things that that don't show up on the uh, on the score sheet or whatever you want to call it, the stat sheet. But, like, the, this vehicle seems to be full of character. Yeah. Um, I think a major part of the character is the analog aspect that you're kind of describing. It's 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 not electronically limited in these certain um, scenarios. It has old-school mechanical 
um, differentials. It probably feels much more analog and, and engaging as a result, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I don't want to ignore the fact that that digital stuff is there lurking in the background. Like, it has traction control. It has stability control. You can turn them on and off. Uh, but it's not in your face. And I think more to the point, it's not the primary interface with which you have the experience while driving. Uh, the You know, this... It's, it, they're only manual. You can't get an automatic or a dual clutch or anything like that. The shifter in this car, I went from the Acura last week. The, Which is the so smooth. Really like butter. Like- I, I got into this thing and it was it was laughable, the difference between <laughs> them. Like this one gets the job done, but we're talking like, you know, it's vague and it, it's, it's kind of not really well weighted. It, it's just there. It's like, is it like truck-like then? Like it? It's like early Subaru-ish. I think. Is it like your your leave behind um, RS? Your no, it's better. RS? Th- it's better than that. But okay. it's it's just you know I'm dry. It's part of that. I think is you know I mentioned earlier. It feels they took that off the shelf engine that they had. I think they kind of just grabbed whatever they had in the warehouse that was cool and fast. And they're like, <laughs> what's an inexpensive way for us to make this hatchback, this cheap hatchback, fun to drive? And that's that's an again an old school way to look at building a fast a faster car on the cheap i mean like a parts bin kind of car right so don't confuse that for saying that no i think it is a parts bin kind of car i think that Hmm. instead of when i look at something like the type r or the or the golf r i get the feeling that behind the scenes the engineers set up a little skunk works and they're like we're gonna see what we can develop on our own to really improve this platform but i think with the corolla they're like the platform's pretty good we have this decent drivetrain we can build an all-wheel drive system that takes advantage of it and kind of you know edit out the torque steer that people might be worried about let's just go ahead and do it and i feel like you know the first generation wrx that i keep coming back to uh or at least the first generation in north america I feel like it was a similar kind of concept. Cool. Um, I don't even think... I think that this that when we when you get into the Civic Si and know that the Civic Type R is, a, is an option, you get this kind of like held back feeling. Same with the GTI and the Golf R, I think. I think all of those cars were built in, in concert with each other. And when you look at the Corolla GR, I don't think there was an, an element when they had the Corolla hatchback and were like... Oh, you know what? We can make this alongside this all-wheel drive, 300 horsepower version of it. I honestly think you're right. I think they took. They're like, this is not bad. We can amp this up to the to the next tier um, with with ease, and they did. And I think that's an amazing feeling to have that a car was built from the from the get go to be awesome and fun rather than being held back because it's going to be another better version in the in the future and and i think it's also interesting uh that in this case this is one of those rare cases where like a lesser car actually inspired a a faster car in, in totally that, i think the yeah. gr yaris is like a car that's much you know it's less expensive as smaller it used to be sold in north america it's not anymore and they, they realized that they couldn't sell that here it would be tough to get drivers into that so they they upsized it into the corolla again the Corolla hatchback is going to be a tough sell because few Americans purchase hatchbacks. Like really sedan sales are where it's at, even for small cars. So, and, and even those are, are flagging these days. So again, this is like a niche within a niche. And I, the, everything, but I also think that there, there was an element to the Yaris that included rally racing. Um, I think Toyota competed in the WRC or something like that, um, which is a more popular sport, I think globally than it is in North America. Yeah, for sure. And that helped build GR uh, name recognition. They didn't have that going for them here. 
Uh, they don't have that going for them here, and I don't know how they're going to like get this in the face of enthusiasts who don't know about it. And I don't know if there's such a thing, but yeah. Uh, the the other the thing about this car that trips me up is that pricing is kind of wacky. Uh, Come on, as, I love the pricing of this thing. Well, you haven't been inside of it. Um, <laughs> for thirty five thousand dollars, you're getting a. The, the the or thirty six thousand for like the base core version of the car, and then you have to add about. That's a great price for an enthusiast car. Sure, but to get the torsion and stuff, you have to add another two thousand dollars, I guess, or whatever oh. it is. I don't uh, like that not being standard. Okay. And then there's other stuff that's like, biz- sorry, it's called the performance package. It's eleven hundred eighty dollars. I mean, let's talk for a second too about how Toyota names its options. So you can there they're are, super clear, aren't they? There are three options for the Corolla <laughs> core version called performance package with options and they all have three different prices but the same name and what it really is yeah is, the options mean that there are mo- there are more options in this one versus the other one so it, it it essentially adds together previous options packages without changing the name uh it's frustrating and weird when you're trying to order the car but what i'm saying is the inside of the car is very much base corolla like it's not a penalty box, but it, it's not very nice. Like, it's Spartan inside. And okay. you can pay up to, like, 50 grand for this car. If you I get... mean, in, com- in comparison to some of its core rivals, like the Elantra N, the Civic Type R, and the Golf R, which all have pretty pretty refined interiors, yeah. I sh- I'm sure that stands out. It does stand out. I mean, the Golf R is not as great as it once was, but it is it is better than this. Um, you have to really want this. If you're going to buy the, the, the top-spec Maurizio Edition, which is the one that, you know they delete the back seat and the rear window motors and and give you leather for some reason that's like a 50 excuse me a $50,000 car that still has a Corolla interior and did you say it deletes the rear seats of this four-door vehicle yeah it deletes the rear yeah, seats great. Um, rear seats re- well in the picture it's funny because they show like tires in the back right. <laughs> which I but it's odd because I think it's like in that photo that it's the seats are folded down but my understanding is the seats are absent Okay. Um, there's like some kind of, I don't know if it's like a shelf or something. Maybe, maybe I'm mistaken. I'm pr- I, I really thought that the rear seat was gone. Let me double check on that. for this. I point. believe you. I like the idea of, a, of the rear seats being gone. A rear seat delete. You change the, the weight balance and the overall weight of the vehicle. It has a forged carbon fiber roof too. So, wow. That's where your money's going to, but like, that's, that's a bitter pill to, uh, that's a bitter pill to swallow. That's yeah. a lot of money. So at that point you have to ask yourself, Am I going to be taking this car to the track and making use of the whatever light weighting goes on because of the the features that have been deleted? Or do I just want a fun commuter that I'm also going to be able to put my kids in the back of if yeah. we need to go somewhere or, you know, if I need to have any kind of practical interaction with this vehicle? I agree. I think that's that is a tough. There's no real wiper either in the Maritzo. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, we need to get rid of those altogether, I guess. Um that sounds like a bad idea, especially for a car that like emphasizes rally racing. You're gonna get the car dirty. So I I like as a base model. I like it as a top spec model. I haven't driven the top spec yet. Let yet I haven't driven on a racetrack. But at fifty thousand dollars for three thousand dollars more, you can buy a Supra. Um, that might be a, an easier sell. To me, the car though fills in the the spiritually it fills in the gap left behind by the STI. But I don't know if that. I don't know how that res- I don't know how that feels with you. I think the STI was a little bit bigger. Um, there was elements of the STI that really felt like right off the race, the the rally track, like the rally course. And I don't know if this car has that. The thing about the STI is we only got it as a hatchback for one generation. Yeah. So I, it's not really a straight across comparison for me. And no, I feel no. Like that's why I'm saying spiritually. 
I feel like also spiritually though the STI had a rally heritage that this Corolla does not. Um, yeah, because get, they're, they're rallying the Yaris, not the Corolla. So it's like it's kind of a mishmash of Gazoo branding here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so weird. Okay, um, do you want to see more of this vehicle? Do you want to drive it in the winter, for example? Like, will that will that be in th- in, enjoyable to you? you think? I really like driving it, and I had the, people like I was in traffic and people honked at me and gave me thumbs up and stuff. So it does have some recognition from enthusiasts. Wow. I was surprised by that because it's not it's not a super extroverted looking car. I mean, it does look different than the regular hatchback if you know what to look for. But, but it's you have not to like a Civic Type R with like no, the, no, the no, no. bolt-on wing and the mega, yeah, those huge hood scoops and everything. You right? have to already be a fan, I think. So, cool. uh, but I think this is this is a good car. I'm happy it exists. Uh, I'm all about you know, I'm all about these forays into performance that aren't super expensive at the entry level. I kind of feel like it's not as much of a hooligan as a vehicle like the Veloster N was. Mm -hmm. So I don't like it as much as the Veloster N. I feel like it's more of a logical choice than the weirdo Hyundai. Uh, But it's, it's, it's still good. And I like that we have these options. I like that not everything is going to be a compact car with luxury features at a high price. You know, so and I also just like that they're expanding the Gazoo Racing line. Obviously, it's we, such a great semi contractually. <laughs> you don't have to shout out Gazoo Racing every time. I've never, I can't. I mean, the car just wouldn't be successful. It was called the the Corolla, the fast one, or TRD. Corolla, <laughs> the Corolla, TRD. the fast one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Corolla all wheel drive, three cylinder turbo. Um. I'm uh, I'm all about it. I I mean I just like the idea of giving a car some attitude and um and this looks like it has it it has a ton of attitude. And uh that's pretty much all I've got to say about the um Corolla GR or GR Corolla. Sammy, you have a car that kind of isn't at all affordable and <laughs> perhaps addresses an even smaller niche <laughs> of what? the market. No way. So the car I want to talk about this week is the Lamborghini Storado. The Storado. Huracan Storado, which I believe uh, we, we don't have a, an, an audio plug for that yet, but we should uh, every time it's mentioned. The Huracan Storado is technically the last vehicle riding on the Huracan platform, and it is a completely different car than all the other Huracans that have come before it. Wait, how is it completely different? Because it's off-road oriented. What does that mean in Lamborghini world? Like, we're not talking Urus off-road more oriented, right? It means that this car has um, more ground clearance than a Subaru WRX. It has uh, a specific engine air intake that's mounted on the roof of the vehicle rather than on the side by the blades. It has um, unique Bridgestone Dueler all-terrain tires. It has skid plates. It has uh, rally-inspired lighting pods on the... um, on the hood of the vehicle, it has these big fender flares that remind you of a of a of an Outback, I guess. It's um it's a crazy car. Like I'm telling you, I had a lot of fun driving this thing. I mean, it's obvious. Usually, I talk about these Lambos and they're and they're a lot of fun, but this one was uh, was very unique to me because it just seems so so bold, so different. Um, and to me, I think it will help answer some questions as to how the enthusiast cars uh, and who we can entrust the enthusiast, the enjoyment of of driving to as a, as an enthusiast. I'm always worried that the future, you know, I grew up with all these cars on, on our on our walls, right? Posters of these cool cars on the on the wall, Lambos and 
Ferraris and all this stuff. And today, I don't know if we have the same collection of of supercars that people are enthusiastic about. And there's all this discussion about like electric vehicles. And as a result, you know, people want more green cars. We've got all of these like they all look like pods. They all look like like um, like Wally kind of kind of draw like vehicles, inspired vehicles. And I always just wonder, you know, what are we, what are the new enthusiasts, the new crop of enthusiasts um, going to look forward to? And I'm only saying that. E-bikes and scooters, my friend. That's, that's what the future is. And I say that as somebody um, who's actually expecting a kid in the near future to, because, you know, legacy, legacy is an important thing to talk about. Um, Not an important, it just comes up every once in a while. Like what makes, what makes, um, someone or something willing to to be the flag bearer for the next generation. Now, and I think that the Huracan has an important aspect in the in the the history, the story of of Lamborghini nowadays. Now, I, just to follow up on kind of some of the threads that you're pulling out here, because I yeah, feel I'm like pulling we're, all we're going to bring a whole quilt down on top of us. Please do. I know you can disagree. You can disagree with me. I, I'm pretty I'm pretty stubborn in what I'm feeling right now. But you should how, go with that. How many of these are they building? Uh, they originally had a lower number, but uh, a lot of people seem ex- ex- excited about it. It came, came down to, I think, fourteen ninety nine. So one thousand fourteen hundred, and yeah. across how many years? I think it's the one year, man. Wow, that that feels like a lot of vehicles. It does sound like a lot. Um, I would be interested to know, like, what percentage of Huracan production total that is. Like, is this the only Huracan you can buy right now? I think it would be this and the Technica. Okay. So, you know, I don't know. Where do we want to? Where do you want to begin with? Let's tra- let's well, talk about because this. there Exterior. were. Yes, I was just gonna. You know, the idea that this would become like an icon in the sense that future kids might have this on their on their wall. I think about like the Lamborghini um, LM 001 or zero zero two. I can't remember zero zero two. Yeah, it's a military vehicle. Yeah, kind of a military vehicle. It, yeah, it wanted to be, and then it failed at that, and then it became something else. But um. <laughs> It became a Hummer alternative. So yeah, so that was you know a, a legitimate unique vehicle at the time in the sense that none of the European automakers were offering like a high performance off roader, and and really yes. y- you were your your choice was that Lamborghini or a G wagon or a Range Rover, and and yeah. those other two options were not fast. Like that's no. not what they were supposed to be. But and there have been models that try to be fast in the in the future. We have AMG G classes and SVR Range Rovers, yeah, but, but they're not the same. They're also not limited to fourteen hundred examples yes. produced, and they're also not based on a vehicle that is better known for its performance on the tarmac. So, yeah. my my question is like, is this just an oddity that's being produced? If, if I was cynical, is mm-hmm. this just an oddity that is being produced to? save on development costs for an all new model and yet have something interesting in the showroom. Um, And how much of, how many of the people who are buying this car are doing it because they're legitimately enthused by the idea of being able to go off road in a Storado? Yeah. Or how many people are just buying it because it's yet another interesting Huracan that will be different from the other Huracan at the, at the valet station. Like where does it fall into that spectrum? I think the most important thing to say here is that they didn't need to make this. The, the, The Huracan is the most successful Lamborghini like ever, ever. It is it is the best selling Lamborghini they have and it it has it has broken records for them not just for sales but in terms of performance it was a it was a one time like lap record holder on the Nurburgring this is a product that has um, 
its own brand now, I think. And I don't think they needed to make anything like this. Um, a lot of people believe that the Huracan Serato came about because um, there's a new off-road Porsche 911 called the Dakar, Dakar, I believe. But um, Lamborghini, they wanted to uh, nip that in the bud when we were when we were checking out this car. They said the 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 development on this car started way back in 2017 with a concept that came out then. They said they drove the, the, after they released the Urus, they realized that they actually might be able to bring some of the uh, the off-roading elements of that SUV into their supercar. And they gave it a shot. Apparently it, it had a pretty good, like I said, the concept was, was developed around that time. It had a much stronger response than they were expecting. And their, their next steps when they made a production vehicle ended up going higher in terms of production volume. Yeah, but uh, we could also just back things up a bit to say that Safari builds have been a thing for a very long time. That's true, yeah. Uh, and it was it's a small subculture in the Porsche world has been doing Safari builds, I don't know, indefinitely. But it's def- sure. it has picked up in the last decade or so. So, you know, regardless of whether they were inspired by the new Dakar version Dakar, of yeah. the 911 or not. This or is the, the old one, yeah. This is like an undercurrent of that performance world. Uh, there are even Safari versions of the the Datsun Z that I own because it yeah. raced it raced in at Dakar as well back in the seventies. A lot of cars raced back. I think you can find uh, everybody has had an example of a car that's a sports car that's raced in in Dakar. Although I don't, I don't know about that. It's a pretty, maybe some Corvettes didn't make it's it. It's a pretty small club. I can't think of any North American manufacturers that went. We'll see, we'll take a look. We should do some research on that. I think that's a great story. Research. Idea. That's not your forte. Come on. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> The other aspects of this vehicle that I think are so interesting is it might be the best riding Lamborghini uh, Huracan that I've ever had because of the extra meaty tires. Yeah, sidewall makes a difference, doesn't it? <laughs> Bridgestone Dueler. These are Bridgestone Dueler uh, all-terrain tires. They have big old tr- sidewalls and uh, and meaty tread blocks. Um, I expected them to be a lot louder on the on the highway and on the asphalt. They really weren't, of course. The car itself is loud, right? This is a V10, a 5.2 liter V10 engine. It is, it's a loud beast. So um, the engine noise ended up being a little bit more louder, I think, than the tire noise. But those those wheels absorb the imperfections in the road because they're designed and and there's extra there's extra suspension travel as well. So the car suspension seems almost like it seems cloud-like in comparison to some of the the road-going or road-oriented Huracans that I've driven. So I was just so impressed by its ability to be kind of livable, which is not a, a, a trait that you usually associate with with supercars like this. And by livable, like, what's the noise like inside from those knobby tires? And what's the, like, you said the ride is good, but did yeah. you take it off-road as well? Yeah, we, we didn't take it, like, super off-road. We did some, like, uh, sand uh, sand stuff on it and i had to leave the program a little early but uh, my colleagues did uh an off-road course over at chuckwalla in outside of palm springs okay so and based on the footage that i've seen there it was a, a joy to drive there um <clears throat> the let me t- let me talk to you about livability there's i may say that the car might ride better but um there's an important aspect of livability here that i think is is worth mentioning it's impossible to see out of this thing um wait 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 a the, minute <laughs> <laughs> the the rear of the vehicle, which is normally um, there's a little like glass window that you would see. Um, it, it's it's a window that's over top of the the engine bay. So you'd look in the rearview mirror and you can check out your window. That has been covered up now by this rear air intake, this roof mounted air intake. And I think you could, there's an optional um, 
roof rack that you can get for the vehicle. Uh, so you, the window is useless. You can't see anything out of the, the rear window of the vehicle. I really would have expected them to put one of those video camera rear wheel, those rear video cameras that you can put in the, what am I trying to say? What are they called? Uh, rear view camera. Rear view mirror camera, right? Yes. That's always running. I thought that would make a lot of sense, but Lamborghini didn't, didn't have the foresight to give that, to put that in the car. Um, the air intake obviously is up there because if you're going off-road with this thing, having the air intake lower to the ground is uh, is not ideal. As a result, though, the output of this motor is actually decreased from, I think, uh, 640 to 610 or 602, something like that. Uh, still over 600 horsepower. It's a lot of fun to drive. With those dueler tires, this thing's still achieves a zero to 60 time of three and a half seconds. How much heavier is it than the standard Huracan? Uh, I don't have the, actually, I didn't have this number. I was looking for this before we started. Um, I only have the dry weight as usual. This is the way they, they like to give us the, these, this information, which is 3,200 pounds. Let me look at a, a Huracan uh, Technica, for example. It should be, it, it, that sounds pretty decent. I, I would imagine it's probably two, around 200 pounds heavier. Um, it didn't. It didn't feel it. Let's see here. I've got it. I've just got to do some math now. Is that okay? Are you going to do it live? I need to hear it live. This is it's not a vision. It's about seventy kilos. Podcasting is not a vision. Seventy medium. kilos. Seventy kilos <laughs> heavier. So 144 pounds. 154, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's not super light, but it's, you know. And and you said it had skid plates? It does, yeah. Okay. Um, I I just had joy driving this car. I don't know if that's something that's been said enough. Um... It made great noises. It was comfortable on road. It made people go, wow, when you look at it, because it's got these these black fender flares that widen the track of the vehicle uh, and the front and the rear. It is, and those are functional. The, the track is wider. Um, it just looks wild. It looks like, uh, to me, it looks like crazy dreams come true. Like that's the what that's the thing I can think of. So when it's like want, a real life Hot Wheels car. 100%. 100%. I know that sounds cliché because every supercar probably sounds like that, but this is like actually wild. You've got increased ground clearance. You've got a, a roof rack that like on a supercar like that, you've got this changed air intake. You've got big knobby tires and those rally light pods. Just everything comes together. And you're just like, this is crazy. I can't believe they did this. Uh, and I think that's that's a really good thing to feel. Now, what, Knowing that the Huracan is being is being is going out of production uh, after this year. Now, what kind of pricing are we looking at? We're looking at uh, two hundred and seventy nine thousand, I believe. So in how US. how many Gazoo Racing Corollas <laughs> can I buy and wreck off road before I need to? Um, uh, are you buying the Are you buying the cheap version? Yeah, I'm buying the cheap because edition? because I'm buying ten. So like, I want to I want a group buy discount basically. <laughs> yeah. Of course, uh, you can get about seven and a half, seven and a half, <laughs> almost eight. I'll take those odds. I have a question for you. <laughs> yeah. If you were to if you were to race the Sterato yeah. versus the GR Corolla off road, yeah. and you had access to seven and a half GR Corollas <laughs> in a row, which one do you think would last longer in Dakar? <laughs> if you could just throw away your discarded Corolla and get into a new one whenever it broke. <laughs> 
But you had to stay in the Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah, one Lamborghini versus seven GR Corollas. That's and what you I'm could saying. Just discard them every time you rolled it or got it stuck somewhere. Yeah, every time something bad happened. Yeah, I think the Corollas have a better chance. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you don't think so? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't driven the Serato. I think disposable Corollas. You would take so many more risks knowing you have nine li- or eight lives, essentially. When are, I mean, risk is our business, Sammy. That's why we got into automotive journalism. <laughs> risk, yes. To say the risky, the risky opinion of I had fun in the Lambr- in the new Lamborghini. <laughs> um, it just reinvigorated me a little bit because I I just I know there's a lot of people out there that have supercar fatigue. They think that these things are are they're unobtainium, which they are. They're they provide these levels of performance that are now being matched by EVs, which they are. They're um bad for the environment they have a bad image but now i'm looking at these things they they just this one in particular just does something so right that again it's like what you said it's endearing it made me like just smile a lot um so you're saying this is like a vehicle designed to reinvigorate the soul of a callous billionaire who's already seen everything done everything and they need they need to feel alive again and this is this is how they can do that I, I mean, know. it's either this or drinking the very... blood of innocent victims. <laughs> yes, that's very cynical, of course. No, I'm not to trying to be way. cynical. I'm just trying to keep them out of billionaire jail. <laughs> I, I want to also talk to you about the fact that, I, of course, Sammy, the legacy. Yes. I'm just kidding. Billionaires don't go to jail. <laughs> I know. They don't. Never. Um, the legacy of Lamborghini and the Huracan is important. A lot of people might be concerned that the Huracan and this V10 engine are going to be going away. What will happen after this? Now, to me, I've seen the Huracan go through all of its iterations. We've seen it as a, like I said, Nurburgring lap uh, winner. We've seen it as this uh, car that can be excellent on track, off track, now off road. Um, whatever they've got planned coming up, I think they'll be able to accomplish that with confidence. And I don't think that was the same position that they were in when the Huracan was first introduced. Probably not. Do you know what I mean? I think the Huracan did a lot to rehabilitate Lamborghini's image and the uh, and the derivatives of the Huracan. Yeah, because you didn't I mean if we're being honest, you didn't see this many versions of the Gallardo, right? No. Like it just didn't happen. And I think part of that is before was that I, mainly because of the Audi thing? I think, think that yeah, I think they didn't have the resources that they needed to really fully explore what they could do with the platform. I think maybe the platform was also not as sophisticated or as versatile as what happened with the Huracan. I mean, the Huracan is super livable, which is something that Lamborghini was not known for at no. that point either. So like this this car came in and it really it was a sea change for the brand. And it allowed them to keep making, you know, difficult super expensive hypercars because they also had this vehicle in case you didn't feel like um, wearing a hair shirt every time you drove it. Hair shirt. Yeah. What's a hair shirt mean? A, a hair shirt is just it's not as a, it's not as comfortable as shirt, Sammy. It's a it's a <laughs> shirt that it's a shirt that punishes you for wearing it. I've, I haven't heard this term. I'll take a look at this. Yeah, it, is it was this an warm. Urban Dictionary thing. No, it, it's 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 made of something called hair cloth, which is like a uncomfortable clothing. And way back in the day, like I'm talking hundreds of years ago, if you were trying to you know repent for your sins or whatever, you would wear this hair shirt to show that you were serious about it because God loves suffering. I guess <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess. But it was to also show that you weren't like part. You weren't attached to earthly comforts. There's a lot of old school ideas that don't translate well into the modern era and, and hair shirts are one of them. But I think that in some ways, like 
the transmission on the um what what vehicle am I thinking of from the Aventador? The Aventador is an example of kind of an automotive hair shirt where it's like, yeah, like there are really appealing parts of this vehicle, but also this, and then you have yeah. to kind of bear that. And I mean, if you've driven a, Hur- a Huracan, they're super wide, they're super low, you can't see out of them, they're uncomfortable, they're like they're insane. Like they're they're ridiculous in all of these these ways that don't have the joy to them. It's ostentatious, I think. Uh, and this has more. This has less ostentatious because of just the risks it takes. And I think um, that's cool in its own way. So, uh, any any closing thoughts on this uh, burliest of hurricanes? No, I can't wait. I, I really hope that they are not. It's not a one time thing for them. I hope that whatever comes next, they try to do something similar um, to this next generation vehicle. I think that'd be hilarious if they're just like constantly trying to one-up themselves and are you excited for the urus storato so actually the the urus performante has a rally mode which is supposed to be a little bit more like uh it has less intervention um in terms of wheel slip and some traction when you when you have more wheel slip um and the huracan has that that same rally mode and characteristics so it's made to stick its tail its tail out and go sideways in the dirt which i think is a uh, it's hilarious i think that's just so funny and i have one last question sure if you could pick any other performance car to make a safari dakar version of oh what, yeah what would it be any other one on market right now yes. i guess yes Ooh, that's a tough one. I haven't been doing my math research recently. I actually what think math? That, How I does mean, math, to, <laughs> does math, math relate to this? Sure. There's no math. <laughs> I want a ra- I want a rally version of a GTR. A rally GTR. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I I don't know which one I would pick either. Um, oof, I know maybe... that's probably the the easiest way out because it's already got all wheel drive. It's a big boxy. It looks. It already looks kind of like cyberpunk in its own way. I feel like maybe I want a a rally safari version of the Ionic Five. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think that would be pretty cool. Tycon. No. Why do we have a Tycon safari? I don't we? think the Tycon is that attractive to look at, and I don't want more Tycon to look at. I feel it's like I'm okay with the current level of Tycon. I see. Okay. Um, we Just need one more man's people. Opinion. We need more people to tell us what they want to accomplish in the Mad Maxiverse. Yeah, if you were going to make uh, like a Safari Dakar version of anything out there, and let's not limit it to cars in production. Like, if you have a, an idea for a wacky older car to be built like this too, I'd like to hear yeah, it. Yeah, I've seen so many of these. I think there's a there's like these. The, the, what is it called? Dirtfish Rally. I think they have some BRZs, and I'm like, that's what I want to do to mine when I get to, when I get tired of it. Just put it some meaty off road tires. Make it a, a, a a BRZ Wilderness Edition. That's and- how you know Sammy's lost, has grown tired of life when like he's buying like KO twos for his uh, for Isn't his BRZ. Yeah, I would uh, love that. You so just s- mentioned that you there was these uh, with with Safari packages. Yeah, back in the you're day. Ju- I mean, they were. You tell me you wouldn't you wouldn't no, do this. Well, when all of our all of our favorite racetracks get turned into condos, you have no have idea. Go- the structural strength of my Z approaches zero. Like. <laughs> In stock form. So I don't think I want to be taking it off-road. Like, that's just a – that's a recipe for a subframe meets subframe, like, in an in an uncomfortable way. But, Sammy, if people wanted to get in touch with us and tell us about which vehicles they would build, how would they do that? Their safari dreams? They should get in touch with us by going to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and clicking on the contact button and filling out the form that's presented in front of them. Alternatively, there are – there's always alternatives. There's no – there's more than one way to skin a safari – um, you can reach out to us on social media. 
Ben is on Instagram, which is at Hunting Benjamin. That's where you'll find him. You just send him a message there. You follow him, whatever it is. Or you can find me on Twitter. I promise you, you probably won't find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha. You just have to scroll through a bajillion ads of who knows what on Twitter. I don't know what's going on with Twitter's feed lately, but I promise you, it's you, if you really want to get through to it, you can find me there. And shout out to Steve who reached out to me earlier this week, uh, and we talked about the po- to talk about the podcast. Really appreciate it, and uh, always always looking for that feedback. Um, additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. What else do we got to say? I think that's pretty much it. I mean, if you wanted to listen to older versions of the podcast, and by older versions, I mean previous episodes, not like old-time radio versions. <laughs> yeah, version 1.0. Yeah, uh, you can find us at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a full archive, but pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify. Did you say this already? Nope. Did I space out Spotify? No, no. I Google. love it when you space out when I'm doing all right. <laughs> I go to I go to a really peaceful place whenever you talk about how people can get in touch with us, and sometimes they don't come back in time. But uh, yeah, Google, Apple, Spotify, um, Amazon Music, Castbox, Cast- Castro. I don't know what that is. It's not Castro. Castbox. No, we have Castbox and Castro. I'm okay. looking at it now. I don't know what that is either. We've got Overcast. We don't have Undercast. If we have you're Pocket on that. Cast. If you're on that, you can find us on Named Automotive Podcast. And if you are on that, if you subscribe, if you like, if you share, all that stuff helps get more people into the fold, more earballs on the podcast, and we always appreciate it. Um, what are we talking about next week? Next week, ooh, I'm going to be talking about the Hyundai Ioniq 6, which is kind of crazy looking, speaking of vehicles that are unusual to look at. Okay, I've got the Land Rover Range Rover SV. Oh, um, I've got like a limo edition that's that's very does high it, end. Does it come with like bespoke crystal wear and like maybe a, yep. a hunting shotgun in the back? <laughs> no, no hunting shotgun, but definitely a place to put your put your equipment for sure. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we hope to he- be back with you next week. See ya.